0: So, all right, useful and productive. Exodus 36, we are back to these salt mines. Um, remember, though, where we have been and how we have gotten here. God has descended upon his people. He has planned to dwell among them. They have made a covenant with God, the people have, and the first chance they got, what'd they do about that covenant? They broke it immediately. And yet, God has redeemed them again and again. And again, and God is going to continue with them, which means he's going to dwell among them, which means what do we need? In order for God to dwell in the camp, what do we have to put together? We need a tabernacle. We need the place where God will dwell. Now, weeks ago, and I know since you guys remember everything that I say perfectly, and I don't have to repeat anything, There you go. Uh, We covered the tabernacle in detail when God laid down the plans for it. Now, that makes some things difficult today because the vast majority of these 38 verses is the construction of that tabernacle according to the plans that we've already covered. So we are left with a couple of options. Option one, we go back over everything again. Option two, we take a look at the new info that we do have while we take a really deep, deep dive into the repeated info. And since you get no vote, because I'm the one who makes the notes, I chose option number two. (laughs) So if you were rooting, there you go. So what we're gonna do is, a lot of time on the first um, seven or eight verses here, and then we're gonna rapid fire at the uh, the end of this and kind of conclude with a big old punchline based on all that information, okay? So if you're looking at this going, 38 verses, and he's only gotten through five. We're never going home. All right, I have places to be today. We, we're not gonna be much later than normal. We'll probably be a little later than normal because we got started way late today. I, I, um, who are we blaming for that? It's Vern's fault. Everything's Vern's fault, even if he's not here. We blame Vern. So Sunday school went over. We started the service late, so that's Vern's fault. So we will, we will continue on. So let's dive in. Verse one, now Bezalel and Aholiab and every skillful person in whom the Lord has put skill and understanding to know how to perform all the work in the construction of the sanctuary shall perform in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. All right, is there there any suggestion in that? No, that's uh. this is what's going to happen. Is there any doubt in that? No, why not? And this is where we connect back. Remember, I know we had, um, Reformation Sunday, we've been two weeks since we've been in Exodus, but it's still a reminder. Why is there no doubt here? Who's accomplishing this? This is where your Philippians 4.13 comes off the coffee mug and is actually placed into the right context. These guys can do all things through Christ who strengthens them. They have the skill, the ability, because God has given it. Now, That's Exodus 31, 1 through 3. Exodus 31, 6. God has appointed. God has gifted. Just like, where are they going to get the stuff again? Where's the stuff they're going to build supposed to come from? Mm -hmm. No? Ultimately, yes, but more specifically, the people are supposed to give the offering, right? They're supposed to give of the fabrics, of the gold, of the things. Why do they have the gumption to give all of that stuff? Because God is changing their hearts and their minds and empowering them to do this. Just as only he can. Famous little verse on this. Daniel 4, Nebuchadnezzar, great king of Babylon, looking at everything that he has created and praising who? Himself, because who did all these wonderful things? I did, (laughs) because I'm in charge. And God reminds him that no, no, you're not. And what does Nebuchadnezzar learn? At the end of the period, that was the seven years of being a lunatic, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. But he does according to his will in the host of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth, and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, What have you done in other words who's the real power and authority around here god is israel needs to understand that because who was israel afraid of they were afraid of pharaoh they were afraid of egypt there you go go out into the wilderness we're gonna starve we're gonna dehydrate shrivel up like prunes and die what will we eat what will we drink where will we live well, this is why you are supposed to be trusting in God and not in the things of this world. Believe it or not, those lessons are included even in here. Why is there no doubt? I mean, let's be honest. If this was like modern church and we need volunteers for stuff, we start rounding people up. There's a good chance that half the people we ask are going to say what? No. <laughs> God's walking up to people on the God. Well, God is sending Moses to tell people, "All right, you're doing this," and the answer is going to be yes. Because of the work of them? No, because of the work of God. So verse 2. So Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every skillful person in whom the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him to come to the work to perform it. This right here is a good example of why you should actually care about how you walk in this world. Why are they doing this? Because their hearts have been stirred. This is why you live and and work and function the way that you do, John 10. Truly truly I say to you he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up some other way he is a thief and a robber but he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep to him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out when he puts forth all his own he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice a stranger they simply will not follow but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers this figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were, which he had been saying to them. There is nothing new under the sun. There is nothing new in your Bible. Well, better not say there's nothing new in your Bible, but there's not new teaching when you get to the New Testament. It's the same teaching, just in a different package with more depth and detail. Why is Israel doing this? Because God has called them and commanded them. Why will this be accomplished? Because God has empowered them. What has changed? And the answer is, nothing see you follow you care about how you walk in this world because god has changed your heart and your mind if you don't care how you walk in this world it is because of what this is one of those rules of logic law of inverse in order for a supposition to be true the inverse of that supposition must also be true this is why down can't be up and up can't be down because if down is up then what is up that doesn't make any sense they, they, they down is down, up is up. Opposites have to be true. So, you care because God has changed you. If you don't care, God has not changed you. Christian, this is why we look at the work. We look at the life. Who judges the heart? God, because I, I can't tell your intentions. This is why I'm forever telling you to check what? Your intentions. Worry less about what you're doing and worry about why you're doing it. Because again, if I get the why taken care of, the what will work itself out. This matters because how do I judge your walk? I have to assume the why based on your... Yeah, based on your what? I don't know your why. Which is one of the reasons we should be ever diligent to be part of a community of faith and to walk with one another. Because at some point, if you're doing the wrong what, someone should ask you what. Why'd you do that? What you, do? you know, yeah. Well, what was the purpose of that? Do you ever do this with kids? I do this with my children all the time. What did you think was going to happen? Like, <laughs> they? yeah. <laughs> well, stop. They'll be building something that they're going to run down or jump off of. and go, Okay, let's stop. Let's look at this. What is going to happen when you do this? And they'll stop and start to think about it. And then they'll tell me and realize the 27 things that are going to go wrong that they weren't paying attention to because they didn't think about it. Now, is this a good idea? No, this is not a good idea. Not a good idea. All right, then let's find something that is a good idea. Again, what rule is always in effect? What's the rule? Don't do dumb things. If that's a dumb thing. Let's not do it. Why do we teach that to children? Because if we don't teach that to children, they don't ever become adults. That's how they go. That's that's what I they'll tell you. Jada will be Jada will be nine next month, and I'm like, if you're lucky. <laughs> I always, always remind her of that. Yeah. I'm gonna be if you're lucky, <laughs> if it continues. Because there are days. Why though? Because they're children. They're immature. They don't think through consequences. If you knew, how many times have you said, if I knew then what I know now, this is the goal of discipleship and wisdom in a community of faith is to teach the people who don't know then while they are then what you do know now so that they don't walk in that manner. In other words, to instruct them on the why so that their what will be influenced because it's a mark that God is at work, because we have love of brethren, because we have love of God, and we have love from God. Therefore, I care how I walk in this world. I care how you walk in this world. Now, do I care how you walk in the world to the detriment of how I walk in this world? No, that's a line that we don't cross. But as long as I can remain faithful and encourage and instruct you, what are we doing? We're walking together. These things matter. This is proven here. Every skillful person whom the Lord had put skill in everyone whose heart stirred him to come to the work to perform it. In other words, they care about the work, they will do the work because God has empowered them. Christian, this is what your sanctification looks like. This is the power that you plug into. No, first three. They received from Moses all the contributions which the sons of Israel had brought to perform the work in the construction of the sanctuary, and they still continued bringing to him free will offerings every morning. All right. This is, again, where sometimes your Old Testament is not as specific as it could be. God has moved the people to bring the offerings for the sanctuary. God has moved the workers to complete the work of the sanctuary. So we got to get those two things together, right? That's what's going on here. The people are bringing the contributions and they've brought everything that is needed for the work of the sanctuary. So what did they do? What did the people do? They still continued bringing to him free will offerings every morning. So we brought everything we were supposed to bring. We went home and went, we have more stuff to bring. Let's go bring that in the morning. All right. So they brought that stuff in the morning and then they went home that afternoon and said what? there's more stuff we can bring. Let's bring that in the morning. And they brought it in the morning. And then they went home that afternoon and looked around and went, oh, there's more stuff we can bring. You know what we should do? We'll bring that in the morning. And that's what's going on right now. How much fun of a problem would that be? <laughs> in other words, though, how changed are they? 2 Corinthians 5. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come this is new right has this ever been the case for israel before i mean ever for five minutes no what was it before go back to exodus 16 always remember where exodus 16 is um old testament history exodus 14 they crossed the red sea exodus 15 is a praise song of moses praising the work of god and delivering the people in the work that occurred at the red sea so that means we're standing how far on the other side of the shore We're like right there. And then you get to chapter 16, verse 3. The sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Sounds like one of those. Do you ever watch the, um, like Civil War documentaries? And they always read letters from Civil War soldiers, and they always get some lovely narrator be like, "We marched today to Antietam, and it was a hard walk, and we covered twenty-eight miles." And you just know the guy writing that didn't sound like that. That's how I feel like you have to read the complaints of Israel. Oh, that we had sat by pots of meat in Egypt when we ate to the full. What were they in Egypt again? They're slaves. Were they enjoying life? Were they happy about this? Now, it's amazing how much sin will corrupt your heart and mind, isn't it? This was part of the conversation we were having in Sunday school. How do you get to the place where you convince yourself that that, whatever you want to insert that, for Israel, it was literally sacrificing their children to uh, to pagan idolatrous gods. How do you convince yourself that that is a good idea? And the answer, well, you don't know because you didn't live there and you didn't slouch your way along, but... Oh, my brain doesn't want to work today. Just pick something around you. How does the church convince ourselves that that's a good idea? Okay, here you go. I'll give you a completely ridiculous one. That actually happened. How does a church convince itself? I mean, an actual church convince itself that on Easter Sunday morning, like, do we have a more important day in our calendar? That the opening song, the thing you lead with is ACDC's Highway to Hell. Like, now, now my point, now I, I can give you the answer, and I'm not making that up, that that actually happened. The guy's not in ministry anymore, I don't even think the church is open, it was in South Carolina. That actually happened, what, seven, eight years ago. That was the opening call to worship of an actual church on Easter Sunday. And of course, my only thing was, I was like, somebody asked him a question. He's like, I just have to know, the worship team, are they just like playing this because it was somebody's idea, or are they like actually worshiping? Like, is the guitar player in the corner? We're on a high. I mean, <laughs> these are the, and I was, when he asked the question, I'm like, I want to know the answer to that too, just because my brain is, oh, um, they're at SBC Church. Yeah, good evangelical church. I mean, what you would consider... <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> He's like, can we get away with the Rolling Stones sympathy for the devil? No, no you can't. <laughs> um, you know how you get about <clears throat> No, 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 no. How do you get to that point though? The answer is we cared what the culture thought about us. We aligned with the culture to the point that someone stood up in a meeting. This is always, always, whenever you see bad TV shows or bad commercials, always remember that someone has to have the idea. Go to another group of adult human beings and say, hey, I got an idea. Those adults have to then hear this insane idea and say, that's a good idea. They then have to run it through a legal department that says, all right, no one's gonna sue us over this great idea, so you guys can do it. Then they have to tell other people who are gonna pay for it, and those people have to go, that is a good idea. Now, that's what happens in a church because they cared about what happened to the culture. Now, we look at that and go, how do you convince yourself this is a good idea? Because you're not there. You haven't drifted into that sin. You haven't assimilated with the world around you in the way they did. You may have, however, assimilated to the world around you in some other area. You know who's going to know that? you if you do the hard work of evaluating and digging into your heart. Those conversations where you look in the mirror and go, okay, it's time to talk about the stuff I really don't like and don't want to deal with. When you do that and have those conversations day in and day out, you start to realize, wait a minute, I'm drifting. And You catch yourself before you drift all the way over there, or all the way over there, or all the way over there. You catch yourself when you can still see how to get back to the right path. That's what the work of the Holy Spirit does for his children. That's the work you're actually seeing here. How did we get from you just want us to die of starvation in the wilderness? You know what my children will be like in about twelve hours. You know when they run out of chips because the bag is now empty and there's no more Twizzlers. Come! I mean, it will be usually around Virginia, West Virginia is when they start to turn into that. Yeah, exactly. No, we're not stopping at McDonald's. I have rules. <laughs> All the food that went into the van when we leave, that's what you're eating. When you run out of that, you won't die in the next five hours. I promise. I'm not that lucky. (laughs) See what it's like to be one of my children. Aren't you so blessed? Aren't you so blessed? This is when we count your many blessings, name them one by one. I'm not pastor's children. Yes. They were corrupted in another way. They were corrupted in their culture. Sin hasn't changed, it just corrupts you differently. The goal is to see that. Walk away from that and know that for that too Christ has died, that the, his loving kindness is everlasting, that his work and his mercy has overcome even that iniquity, and by his power, mercy, and grace, you get back on the path. How do I know that? My goodness, if you can get this people on track to where they're looking around their house for something to bring for the work of the tabernacle, I mean, after like three days, you gotta figure, they're just like bringing stuff they're not even supposed to be bringing anymore. Look, we found more, look, look. That's a figurine. We don't need that. But, 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 but that's a, that's a clay pot. Take it home. No, we're not taking that. But, 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 because they want to give something else. Doesn't matter what it is. It's just something. So verse four and five, all the skillful men who were performing all the work of the sanctuary came. Do you notice the repeat there? How many of the skillful men, how much of the work are they doing? Notice when God accomplishes, what does he accomplish? everything that he has promised to do. So all the skillful men who were performing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work, while he was, work, work which he was performing. So they all have to stop working, come and say to Moses, the people are bringing much more than enough for the construction work which the Lord has commanded us to perform. So in other words, they got so much stuff laying around now, like, what can't they do? I can't work anymore. I'm out of work. I, I got no place to go. Give it, it, her, okay, can I, of all the Sundays for Vern to be traveling, I can't pick on him for this one. Because this is because I guarantee you his his workshop, because I've been in it, I know it does, looks exactly like my father-in-law's workshop. Because they're both around the same age and have been farming their entire lives. You know what farmers throw away? Nothing. 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 And do you know who you know how many farmers have a shop big enough for their stuff that they've never thrown away? None of them. Not a one. So there is stuff. You go into a workshop for a farmer, there is stuff everywhere. Because, and in in, in their defense, I've actually seen this at work in my father-in-law's existence, where he's like, you need one thing, and you've held onto it for 40 years, and you didn't need it. You know when you need it? The two days after, you finally got rid of it. (laughs) That's when the part, um, that's when the machine that it fits finally breaks. Hasn't broken in three lifetimes, but because you threw the extra part away, because you didn't need it anymore, it's when it broke. But you can't work like that, which is why it's funny because my father-in-law has to usually make a spot before he can work on the table. You know, he's got to clear the area before he can actually do anything. That's what's going on right now. We can't do anything because there's so much stuff showing up. And what do they keep doing every morning? Bring in more stuff. Please stop. Please Stop. That's what they have to look at. All right, you've got to put an end to this now. We get this. This is kind of a cool problem to have because this is a people that has been broken for so long that to see this outpouring for the work of God's tabernacle is, it's fun to see. I mean, and you got to figure if you were one of the workmen, it was probably really cool to see for like days two and three, right? Be like, we got everything we need and, and they're bringing more stuff. This is cool. After a while, it's like, stop bringing the stuff. Why is this happening? that we we've covered that their hearts have been changed that God has spurred them. Is God incapable of spurring them to slow down a little? No. Is God incapable of spurring them to stop bringing stuff? No. So why hasn't he done that? See, these are the questions you have to ask and you have to be a little bit warped to ask them because this is the stuff we don't think about because we immediately go, well, God changed their hearts, so they just can't help but bring things. Are they toasters? I mean, you push the button down in the toaster and it gets hot, right? When the button pops up, you push the button down, what does a toaster do? People are not toasters. They don't operate like this. At some point, they can rationally look and realize that this is enough. Why has God so moved them in such a way that they are incapable of seeing that this is enough? Because he's demonstrating things. Things that will be applied by New Testament writers. Philippians 4. I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice well pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. In other words, who will provide for the work of the kingdom? God. How much will he provide? And when we have enough, if we need more, what can he do? He can provide. Now, I would love to tell you that this is always what life looks like, but we have some history to do. You ready? Because this is where understanding your Bible, and this is why reading a book, especially a historical book, from beginning to end is so important. Of course, it's important to do that with the epistles as well because you don't want to start in Romans 9. You will really tie yourself in a knot if you just start in Romans 9 and just completely fry your brain cells. And nobody, nobody wants to do that. So start at the beginning. It's good for you. Is Israel rich? Are they materially rich? See, you say no. And I knew you'd say no. I just knew you'd say no. Because they're wandering around in the wilderness, right? They got nothing. They're wandering out in the desert making tents. Exodus chapter 12, which comes before 36, right? And I already told you earlier that 14 was the crossing of the Red Sea. So that means 12 is before 14. So this, the, this thing I'm getting ready to read is before they cross the Red Sea, right? So before they cross the Red Sea, where are they still? They're still in Egypt. The sons of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, for they had requested from the Egyptians articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have their request. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. The Israelites are rich. They're loaded. They got gold. They got silver. I mean, where were they going to get this purple and gold fabric and this blue? I mean, understand it in the ancient world. I mean, really, until in human history, what, 150, 200 years ago? Well, hang on, what year is it? Carry the one. 250 years ago. What, Eli Whitney, cotton gin makes um, industrial farming a little bit more of an issue? Who's the person that comes up with the whole spindle thing that basically kicks off the Industrial Revolution? Go read Wikipedia, it'll do you good. (laughs) But until you get into the mid-19th century, where you have industrialization on a large scale... Fabric's expensive. I mean, pants are work. Imagine you got to go like shear a sheep and then make pants out of it. There's, um, oh, what country is it? What's the, the, the weird Scandinavian country? That, and you're going to understand why I called them weird in a second. Um, they used to be on Netflix. They had this thing called slow TV. My children love it. I have weird children. And it was, it was Norway or Sweden, one of, the, one of those countries. And what this slow TV thing was, was they did these TV specials or they would do something that should not be entertaining and people watched it by the millions. So they would literally stick a camera on the front of a train that was running its route and it goes through the mountains and through the plains and it's just, the whole thing is 13 hours of this camera mounted on the front of the train telling you what station it's going through. They did it for a boat, it was like eight hours long. One of the ones that they did was 12 hours long. They made a sweater from start to finish. And when I mean start, they brought dudes with clippers and a sheep into the middle of the room. They started a clock, and for twelve hours, you sit there and watch them make a sweater from scratch. They shear the sheep. They start to. There's women over there on the spindle thing, like um, like a uh, Rumplestiltskin. No, is it Rapunzel? No, it's yeah, it's Rumplestiltskin. Why do I know my weird fairy tales like this anyway? And they take the wool as they're shearing it off and they're starting to spin it. And once they spin it in yarn, they're giving it to somebody else who's starting to weave it. And, and by the time they're done, literally 12 hours later, they've made a sweater. <laughs> it, that's a team of people. It's like three men shearing a sheep. It's multiple women making the thread. It's other people. They're sewing different parts or were they knitting? They're knitting. I, I, okay, whatever. <laughs> My grandmother crocheted, I think. Okay, whatever. <laughs> so, it, it's like 10, 12 people, and it took an entire day. Now, imagine you have to do that. That's how many days work for a sweater. Yeah. <laughs> Swipe. Now, why do I point that out? Because now imagine you want it in a cool color. <laughs> I felt that emotion, Denny. Denny, uh, because now I got a diet, and where do I get the. Di- I mean, purples and reds are not easy to come by in nature. It's expensive, which again, why was purple the color of royalty? Because they were the only people rich enough to afford it. So, what was the tabernacle going to be made out of? These blues and turquoise colors of the fabric, these purples—like where you keep, where do you find that stuff in the middle of the Sinai Desert? Go look on Wikipedia. No, go look at Google Images of the Sinai Peninsula and tell me where you're going to find fabric and and clothing dye. They got it when they before. well, I'm pointing, pointing in the wrong direction. Not that way. It's down here. They got it from the uh, Egyptians before they left. That's why God has to spur them to give it up because. Yeah. Well, they're wandering around in the wilderness with gold and silver complaining about how they're going to starve and thirst to death. I love this. You don't think about it like that. They got packs of stuff. They are as rich as they can be in this world. If God doesn't give them water, what will it matter? Nothing. If God doesn't give them food, what will it matter? If God doesn't send manna from heaven every single... Keep in mind, that's still happening. Manna from heaven is still coming down every day. For all this pile of gold and silver and beautiful fabrics and things, if God doesn't feed them each and every day, what will it matter? The answer is it won't. That's why they have to have their hearts changed. Because they're not even thinking like that. Because I guarantee you, and you proof of this, they've gone days, months into the wilderness. Have they lost any of the gold? Have they lost any of the silver? Have they lost any of the special fabric? Um, oh, I'm thinking bad 80s movies. I I, I will not reference Mel Brooks. I will not reference Mel Brooks. I will be an adult. (laughs) Because they're just carrying around their riches, walking in the wilderness. Now, Christian, are you rich? You might be. If you are, don't tell me. I don't want to know. If you are, awesome. Why? Ask yourself that. Because if your answer is, well, because I've worked hard. I did this, and I built this, and I did that, and therefore I have... Who who did Nebuchadnezzar think built everything? What was the lesson? That God is the one who empowers. God is the one who gives wisdom. God is the one who does all of these things. Which is why, Christian, is that the goal? That we can just have so much stuff that I can just keep bringing it every day. If you, if you want that to be the goal and you can keep your heart in the right place, God bless you. But our goal is not supposed to be riches. It's supposed to be faithfulness. 1 John chapter 5. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence that we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked for from him. Why? Because God supplies what? Everything according to your needs. He supplies for his people. If he hasn't provided it, it's because you didn't need it. And that was true then, and it's true now. And if he has supplied in abundance, it's because there is a work to be done with it. God doesn't make people rich for the sake of making them rich, unless it's a judgment, which, believe it or not, you ever want to see riches be a judgment? You ever, what's that? Oh, what, ne- what network has that show where it's all the, all the lottery people who are bankrupt? And I mean, it's, it's astounding. It's all of them. It's like, it's not some of them. It's, it's like all of them. <laughs> it's like, I won $27 million. Well, really? Well, now I'm by $8 million in debt. And I, it's like, how did you do that? But it, every, I mean, I, again, they did a whole show on this. Years of episodes because they can just find these lotto winners and they're, they're all broke. I mean, I'm saying all. There's probably like four that aren't. But that, that's it. They're the outliers. It's astounding to me. They've all, they all go through the money just like that because it was never about the money. It was about who? Themselves. Christian, the difference between them and us is it's not supposed to be about us. It's supposed to be about God. Therefore, the stuff, the money, the work is about serving him, not serving us, which means the stuff's the same. The heart is different. You see the example of that. Oh, there it is. Went to point at it, and it wasn't there. (laughs) Scared me for a second there. So Moses issued a command, and a proclamation was circulated throughout the camp, saying, let no man or woman any longer perform work for the contributions of the sanctuary. Thus the people were restrained from bringing any more. So in other words, stop bringing stuff. We have enough. Go home and do something else. Which, Let's be honest. If you were going to pick, wouldn't you rather have that problem than the other? I mean, give me that one. Give me that one any day. But you know what? Who does Moses still have to trust in? Because even if you have too much, it's a problem, isn't it? See why the goal is to have according to our needs, not our wants? Because when God gives you according to what you think would be, look, give us everything. Hey, Everybody who's got to bring us everything. Now what? What do I do with it? Because <laughs> it's too much. It's more than we Need Again, God conditioning his people then and now to live trusting in their stuff or him? Him to trust in their wants or his provisions of their needs. His provisions, that's the difference. For the material they had was sufficient and more than enough for all the work to perform it. Because God has moved, and God has accomplished. 1 Corinthians 15. Beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. You want a good application of this understanding? Hebrews 13, I think, does an excellent job. I love this command. And again, we're going to give Paul credit for this, because you know my theory, that Paul is the speaker of Hebrews. It's a sermon given by Paul that Timothy wrote down, so we're just... We've decided, so that's now true. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we may confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? On this face, do those two things go together? Let your character be free from the love of money, for God has said he will never leave you nor forsake you. <laughs> I mean, that if you, were just, if you were just like sitting there listening to Paul preach, and he said that, and you were just kind of zoned in and out a little bit, because it's okay, I can, I can see you, I, I understand. I'm a, I'm a terrible listener, too, it's okay. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. And you just heard that sentence, would you make sense of that in your brain? Yeah, let your character be free from the love of money, all right, because God will never leave you nor forsake you. Why do those two things go together? Why do people love money? Because it's their security. It's their hope. It's their sanctuary. Why is it important to remember, Christian, that God will never desert me, never forsake me? I know, the NASB says desert, and I have it memorized in my head as leave, so I'm going to keep switching them back and forth, sorry. Why do those two things matter? Because when my trust is in my stuff, my stuff is God. But if I remember that it is God who walks with me, that he does not forsake me, then the stuff becomes rightly aligned. It becomes for what? the work of the kingdom, and for the provision of my needs. Not the other way around. Not a a wrong understanding. I can understand that it is God who walks with me, not my money. God who goes with me and protects me, not my standing in the world. God who goes with me, not how smart I am. Insert whatever it is that you love about you, and realize that that is supposed to be second, well, maybe like ninth, after God. Because it is he who walks, he who empowers, he who strengthens, he who is faithful. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. All right, somebody's still paying attention. His loving kindness is everlasting. All right, you ready? I told you not to panic. We're going to cover a lot of ground. You dug in? All right. All the skillful men among those who were performing the work made the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twisted linen and blue and purple and scarlet material. That's the expensive stuff. With cherubim, the work of a skillful workman. Bezalel made them. The length of each curtain was 28 cubits, and the width of each curtain was 4 cubits. All the curtains had the same measurements. He joined five curtains to one another, and the other five curtains he joined to one another. He made loops of blue on the edge of the outermost curtain in the first set. He did likewise on the edge of the curtain that was outermost on the second set. He made 50 loops in the one curtain, and he made 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that was on the second set. The loops were opposite each other. He made 50 clasps of gold and joined the curtains to one another with the clasps, so the tabernacle was one unit. All right, hold Why? Well, remember, the tabernacle is going to be beautiful. That's why all the fabric, that's why all the ornate detail, that's why the attachments are even pretty. This is going to look like something HGTV is going to want to do a tour of and say, ooh, ah, we can never afford this. Because that's the only reason those shows exist. I'm convinced of it. Then he made curtains of goat's hair for the tent over the tabernacle. He made 11 curtains in all. The length of each curtain was 30 cubits and 4 cubits the width of each curtain. The 11 curtains had the same measurements. He joined 5 curtains by themselves and the other 6 curtains by themselves. Moreover, he made 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that was the outermost in the first set. And he made 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that was outermost in the second set. He made 50 clasps of bronze to join the tent together so that it would be a unit. He made a covering for the tent of ram skin dyed red and a covering of porpoise skins above. Because the tabernacle will be protected and it will be hidden. Remember, all that that ornate detail. Once the craftsmen are done with it and they hang it up and they put the covering over, who's going to see it? God will see it, and the priest will see it once a year when he enters in for the Day of Atonement. That's it. All that work, but it's going to be protected, and it's going to be hidden away, because do you understand God fully? Do you see him each day? No, you'd melt. Lesson being taught. Then he made the boards of the tabernacle of acacia wood standing upright. Ten cubits was the length of each board, and one and a half cubits the width of each board. There were tenons for each board fitted to one another. Clark was our tenons person. That's a, a way of cutting it so that it joins together without having to use like nails and fasteners and stuff. And I just lost my place because I picked up my hand. Uh, Thus he did for all the boards of the tabernacle. He made the boards for the tabernacle, 20 boards for the south side. He made 40 sockets of silver under the 20 boards, two sockets under one board for its two tenons, and the two sockets under another board for its two tenons. Then for the second side of the tabernacle, on the north side, he made 20 boards and their 40 sockets of silver, two sockets under one board and two sockets under another board. For the rear of the tabernacle, to the west, he made six boards. He made two boards for the corners of the tabernacle at the rear. They were double beneath and together they were complete plate to its top to the first ring. Thus he did with both of them for the two corners. There were eight boards with their sockets of silver, 16 sockets, two under every board. Because remember, seamless and also what? Portable. If we got to take nails out of this every time we have to take it down, how complicated is that going to be? What's that going to do to the wood over time? The fact that it's fitted together with joints mean when it's time to move, what can we do? Slide it apart, pack it up, load it up, and go. Then he made bars of acacia wood, five for the boards of one side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the boards on the other side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the boards of the tabernacle to the rear side of the west. He made the middle bar to pass through in the center of the boards from end to end. He overlaid the boards with gold and made their rings of gold as holders for the bars and overlaid the bars with gold. Because we've got to have this to be sturdy. So it's got to be undergirded, but it's also still got to be portable. Always remember, we've got to be able to travel because when God says it's time to move, what do we do? We move. We go where God is. Moreover, he made the veil of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen. He made it with cherubim, the skill, the work of a skillful workman. He made four pillars of acacia for it and overlaid them with gold. With their hooks of gold, and he cast four sockets of silver for them. He made a screen for the doorway of the tent of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen, the work of the weaver. And he made its five pillars with their hooks and overlaid their tops and their bands with gold, but their five sockets were of bronze. Why do we care about the veil? Because God is separated from the people and from their sin. And that's why it's inor- or, uh, ornate, because it faces inside to God. I told you we're going to get through a lot quickly, didn't I? Now, here's the fun part. Why is all that the case? This is your pop quiz time, because we covered this long ago when we went through the building of this. Or rather, when he went through the plans of it. Why is this done like this? And the answer is Leviticus 9. Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them, and he stepped down after making the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting, and when they came out and blessed the people, the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the portions of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. What's the purpose of the tabernacle? big picture. There's multiple answers. I'll accept several. It's a place for God to dwell. It's a place for Moses and Aaron to meet with God. Why does Aaron need to go in there? What's he going to do? He's going to make offering for their atonement. They're going to present sin offerings. How many days of the week? All of them. Every morning and every evening, they're going to present an offering for the people's sin. There's going to be grain offerings. There's going to be drink offerings. There are going to be so many offerings that there have to be a multitude of priests down through the years. Because if you just had one guy to do all this work, you know what he'd do? He'd burn out, quit, and go postal. Because he couldn't take it anymore. That's why there's multitudes of priests for all of these offerings. This is part of the worship of God for the atonement of his people that their sin would be covered that they would dwell with him does god take that sort of thing seriously yeah the very next chapter in leviticus Aaron's sons Nadab and Abihu decide to go in and offer something that god has told them that god has not told them they should offer what does god do about that he burns them with fire and then tells Aaron don't you dare mourn for those boys they're idiots I mean, he literally says, keep silent. I mean, he doesn't call them idiots, I would, but... He literally tells Aaron, don't mourn for them. They got what they deserved. Because God takes his worship seriously. Because God takes the work of atoning for his people very seriously. Because why? What is this work pointing to? It's pointing to the work of final atonement. Do you think God takes the death of his son seriously? Yes, he does. Therefore, we treat this work as what it is important. Now, that's part of the why. For one of the few times, I'm going to ask you a different question other than why, and it's going to be very important. How? See, all of this stuff is going on, all of these offerings are being given, yet, how is this work being accomplished? Isaiah 42. I have kept silent a long time I have kept still and restrained myself now like a woman in labor I will groan I will both gasp and pant I will lay waste the mountains and hills and wither all their vegetation I will make the rivers into coastlands and dry up the ponds does that sound a little bit like judgment it should because it it is God has been patient with the sin of the people for a very long time what is he now going to do Yeah, he's going to judge sin. You want to understand your prophets. This is important. I will lead the blind by a way they do not know, in paths they do not know, and I will guide them. I will make darkness into light before them, and rugged places into plains. These things I will do, and I will not leave them undone. In the midst of that judgment, what is God also doing? The blind will be led, darkness turned to light. In the midst of God judging sin, he will also redeem his people. He will rescue and sanctify them. Christian, this is good news. In the midst of everything, how many times have you looked at the world and gone, I wonder if we're under judgment yet? And in the midst of that, what is God still doing? He's still providing, and he's still strengthening, and he's still redeeming and sanctifying his people. Christian, this is good news. Now, how does he do that? John 15. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. See, this is the deep dive in understanding the how of all of this. Why is Israel bringing all the stuff for the offering? Because God has changed them. Why are the workers skillful so that they can do all this? Because God has changed them. Why is he doing all that? Because he's serious about the atonement of his people. How is all of this? The work, the tabernacle, the offerings, the work of the priests, the work of atonement, all of this. How will it be done? And the answer is in God. This is why when you look in the mirror and you have those conversations you don't want to have because you're looking at the things you don't want to look at, you know what you can't do? Can't quit. Because this is the walk of the faithful Christian. To look at the things that God takes seriously and to say, I take that seriously, too. I care about that. Why? Because that's the work the Holy Spirit is doing, and that's the work that he has been about doing all the way back to the beginning. I've said, if you want to understand your prophets, understand the work of God in redemption. Have fun. Look, you, look we don't have Bible study this Wednesday, so I'll give you Wednesday homework. I normally give you Sunday homework. I'll give you, and I already did that today. Go read Genesis about Esau, right? So your Wednesday homework, go read through Isaiah. Especially the first half of the book. And I say half. Isaiah is 66 chapters. Chapters 1 through 39 are consistently considered as judgment chapters. And then chapters 40 through 66 are considered future promises of redemption chapters. If you want to have a a productive evening, read through chapters 1 through 39, which are about judgment. And pay attention to all the places that God promises to redeem people. Because they're all through there. In the midst of his judgment passages, he is still promising to redeem people. He is promising the work that is to come. And if you don't want to do it in Isaiah, go read Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Who listened to Jeremiah's message? Nobody. For 50 years, nobody liked Jeremiah. They liked him so little, they threw him in a pit. You guys did that in Sunday school. Kids did. Nobody likes Jeremiah. I will make a new covenant. I will write my law upon their hearts. And they will be my people. That's Jeremiah. In the midst of all that judgment, in the midst of all that hatred, there is promise of what? Redemption. Because God takes the work he does on behalf of his people seriously. That's what's being shown. That no matter what's going on, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. In the midst of slavery in Egypt, was his loving kindness everlasting? Yes. When they walked through the Red Sea, was his loving kindness everlasting? Yes. When they turned their backs in the wilderness, we're hungry. You just brought us out here to kill us. His loving kindness is everlasting. This is why we can be empowered to have that conversation. Because in that sin, his loving kindness is everlasting. In that failure, in that forsakenness, his loving kindness is everlasting. I can see his work because the entirety of the testimony of God, is that in his judgment, in his dealing with humanity, he is redeeming and rescuing his people for his kingdom. And that work has not changed, and it has not stopped. So this people, who doesn't deserve it, are having their hearts changed, so that the work of God will be done. This is what has happened with you, Christian, with the work of the Holy Spirit in Christ, is your heart has been changed, so the work may be done. So what should you do? Go do some work. Bezalel and Aholiab went and did what? You brought me the stuff, I'm doing what? When you bring me so much stuff I can't work anymore, what do I got to tell you to do? Stop bringing stuff so I can do what? Do some work. You're breathing. You're moving around. There's work for you to do. It may be in you, it may be in somebody else, it may be in kids, it may be in parents, it may be in whoever. You do the work. Why? Because this is how God has strengthened you to work and this is what he has called you to. You'll know what it is because you're you and I can't tell you what the things you should be working on in your life are. But you know. You know the sins you should be fighting, you know the encouragements you should be giving, and you know the faithfulness you should be walking in. Go and do so because that's the spurring of God. That's the security that he provides, that each day... Even though it might have looked a little bit like this today, what did it still look like? Still looked like going the right direction. Why? Because every time I got off track, oh, I don't want to go that way. Oh, And you know what happens over time? It may never get perfect, but what does it do? It just kind of evens out and keeps going. And I look back and go, man, look how far we've come. Notice the plural there? Because it's me that's gone this far, but who's been kicking my butt the whole way? It's God. Look at what, look how far we've come because of the work that you have done. He will do this for his people because this is the faithful promise. We may not be rich. We may not be famous. We may not be loved by the world, but we're loved of God. Therefore, we are rich. Therefore, who cares if they know me? He knows me. And he strengthens me to walk faithfully, which in him is what I wish to do. That becomes the call of my life. It's what he's done. It's what he's still doing. Let's pray.